Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning. Happy October to you. Come on now. Any of you guys make it to the harvest party? Harvest party people, come on, let's see the hands. Yes. We got candied up, didn't we? We got our candy on. (laughs) Well, we are three weeks now into our series And if you're new with us this morning, we've been looking at this one miraculous moment that was so important that all four gospel writers chose to write about it. It's when Jesus multiplied five loaves of bread, two fish, and fed 5,000 families miraculously. And we've been learning every week something new from that particular moment and unpacking it layer by layer. So week one, we learned about Jesus' compassion. We zoomed in on what his compassion as he fed the crowd of thousands, reveals about God's nature towards us and his profound supernatural compassion for us. Then the next week, we learned about Jesus' challenge when he challenged the disciples, hey, with five loaves and two fish, you feed the crowd of thousands. He blew the disciples' minds, but we learned about what it looks like for us to bring what we have to God and to give what he gives us to others. This week, we're learning about community. And we're going to learn about the Jesus community because in this moment, something really special happens that we need to zero in on at the very end of the story. All right, so we're going to get started by looking at Luke. We've been looking at this passage from all four Gospels, but we're going to come back to Luke and, uh, because it just gives us such a beautiful picture for our study. Verse 10, chapter 9, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. I've been saying just another ordinary day with Jesus. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, you know, I think you need to send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. And he replied, you give them something to eat. Right there, there's the challenge. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, including women and children. But he said to his disciples, well, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Now, that's an important detail. It's the only moment in all four Gospels where we really have Jesus' specific words about how to organize the community of people. So we'll come back to that later. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking at the heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Just picture the scene. Jesus, the disciples are getting away from the crowd to get some rest, but the crowd sees them, is chasing them on the shore. And as the crowd is chasing them, people are coming from surrounding towns. The crowd is swelling into this massive crowd of thousands. And when they land, they're greeted by close to 10 to 12,000 people. And what's so beautiful in this moment is the crowd is running and following and gathering around Jesus. We see 
a picture of what happens when people in pursuit of God gathering around Jesus, what happens? So when we look at this story, what happens to people when they gather around Jesus? What do you see Jesus doing with them as they gather around him, much like we are gathered around Jesus this morning? Not, I'm not Jesus, but we are gathered here to learn about Jesus. So what happens? Okay, I want to highlight five specific things real quick. Number one, we see that Jesus welcomes them. Number two, we see that Jesus teaches them. Number three, we see that Jesus heals. We see that he organizes them. That's super important. We really need to zero in on that this morning. And number five, we see, of course, that Jesus feeds them. These five things. When Jesus, when, pe- when the people gather in this huge crowd around Jesus, Jesus does something even more miraculous than multiplying the food. And that's what makes this moment so special. It's not just the multiplication of the food that's miraculous. It is the miracle of transforming a crowd of people into a God community. When you get to the end of the story, when they're all gathered, picture this scene. They're sitting on the green grass. They're being organized into little dinner parties of 50. See, they're in a crowd of thousands, and Jesus is like, let's get them into little dinner parties. So they're being organized. There's a nice breeze coming off the Sea of Galilee as the heat of the day kind of wanes, and it's late in the afternoon. Jesus has been teaching them. He's been filling and feeding their soul but now he's bringing out the bread and the fish and they are eating not just a little bit, not just little bites, little crumbs, but they are eating so much that it says that they are fully satisfied and they had 12 basketfuls left over. It's this beautiful picture of people being drawn into community. Do you see it? People gathered, connecting, laughing, talking about what they just learned from Jesus, enjoying the sunset over the Sea of Galilee, I don't know. Does the sun set that way? I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> I'm just used to our ocean. <laughs> but, but it's a picture of Jesus transforming a crowd into his community. And that's what this whole message is about. And it's also significant because this moment when he gathers these people like this, it's a prophetic moment. What does it mean when we talk about something being prophetic? Ever thought, have you, have you ever studied prophecy in the Bible? When something is prophetic, it means, number one, that it is revealing some truth about God, but also it is giving us a glimpse into God's future plans. You with me? It is revealing truth about God's character. It is also revealing something about God's future plans. This moment is a prophetic moment that Jesus is giving everyone a glimpse of something even greater to come. It's a foretaste. But Of what? Let's read Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's filled his disciples with the Holy Spirit, and something miraculous happens. Peter preaches the sermon of his life. 3,000 people gather around the disciples as he's preaching. Again, we have a huge crowd, and the Holy Spirit does something with that crowd that is unprecedented. Look at this moment, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Can you already begin to see the similarity between this moment and what we were reading about by the Sea of Galilee? Can you see it right now? Look for the similarities between this moment and when Jesus gathered that crowd by the sea that day. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There it is right there. So this moment with the 5,000, Jesus is teaching, he's healing, people are bringing all that they've got. So it says here that they brought what they had so that it could be shared. Well, all the crowd had on that, um, that late afternoon was five loaves and two fish, and that was enough. And can you imagine that family bringing the last of their food for the sake of everybody, wondering what God could do with that? But see, in that moment, Jesus was giving them a foretaste at this moment. This moment was the birth of the church. This is an unprecedented moment in human history because up to this point, the people of God were bounded by a a specificity of culture and ethnicity. It was the Jewish people, the Israelites. But this moment is the beginning of a new understanding of what it means to be the people of God that includes people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every socioeconomic class. This is the beginning of God showing the world just how big his kingdom is. It is not bound by just any one group of people. It is something that is big enough to to encompass the entire world for all time. And you and I are a part of this movement. We live in the age of the church. And that is why we are all here this morning. Now, what this moment is a beautiful picture of community. What does this moment teach you about community? When you look at this snapshot, what do you learn about a Jesus community from that moment? And you can write in your little notes. If you look at the notes, by the way, I got my fill in the blanks, and I even have some boxes to check off. <laughs> you know, some of us just need to make sure we walk out of here feeling like we've accomplished something. And so what I've done is, as we read, you know, through a scripture or get through a point, you can check that box off. And I want you to feel like you've accomplished something. (laughs) Some of us non-box checkers are like, what's the big deal about the boxes? But you know what? You just don't get it. You don't get it. It's for them. So what does this moment teach us about community? I want to move us on and talk about in Luke with the 5,000, Jesus is transforming this crowd of 5,000 into a community. We are the 5,000. Look around. I mean, look, just look around. We are the 5,000. So this moment has so much to say to us about being more than a crowd. Because just being here on Sunday morning doesn't mean we're anything other than a crowd. What does it mean for us to let God transform us into his community? To be his church. Now this moment with the church in Acts is even 
not the whole picture. This is a prophetic picture still yet of something even more amazing coming, which means this is the purpose of us coming together on Sundays. When we gather like this, we are a physical sign of something even greater that is coming. Let's read Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is away from all humans because they are not worthy. No, get this. This is so amazing. This is where all human history is going. You get ready for this? This is so beautiful. God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with him. Can you just imagine that's what was happening with Jesus? When Jesus was walking with them and feeding them and teaching them by the Sea of Galilee, we are getting a picture of God among human beings. That's what it looks like when God shows up. He doesn't come down and just throw the judgment down and just burn you up. He comes down. He's welcoming people. He's feeding. He's teaching. This is God among human beings. And in that moment by the Sea of Galilee, I don't know that they understood that. Is it possible to be in God's presence and not recognize it? Have you ever been in God's presence and not recognized it? They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or we could say or hunger. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now this is the good news. This is heaven. And the church, the purpose of the church is to be a foretaste of heaven on earth. This right here is the beginning of heaven's invasion of earth. And you are a part of it. This is such a sacred thing to be here. It doesn't feel like it, does it? Doesn't it feel ordinary? You're sitting in a silly old chair. It doesn't feel like heaven. You know, maybe you're a little tired from last night. You can barely keep your eye. It doesn't feel like heaven. It was stressful just to get here, get the kids in the car, and you barely made it on time. It doesn't feel like heaven. You got some back pain right now sitting in that less than perfect chair. It doesn't feel like heaven. But this is the beginning of heaven's invasion of earth. And the way that God began it was not with huge angels showing up in the sky. Heaven is coming. No, he started it by gathering his people so that the world would begin to taste heaven through the community of God's people. So how can we be a part of that? And that's what we're talking about. Jesus wants to transform us from a crowd of thousands into a prophetic Jesus community by imitating the 5,000 in just a few ways, okay? A few simple things, and I made them really simple, about what it looks like for you to participate in the Jesus community because just showing up doesn't make you anything more than just a crowd. It's getting in and participating that makes us a community. So how can we participate? Number one, I wanted to look at this idea of practicing supernatural hospitality. Luke 9, 11, 
It says he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who were healing. So right away we see Jesus welcoming this crowd. And it was supernatural. Why do I use the word supernatural? Because it's not natural to want to be hospitable and welcome people when you're tired. Are you with me? When you're hungry. We talked about this last week. It's not natural to want to be hospitable when you are not a people person and you're more introverted, when you don't feel like you know people. You know what I mean? How many people here have ever felt on your way to church, you just want to get in and get out and hopefully not see one person on the way out? Have you ever come to church hoping somehow to get out of here without having to talk to one person? Come on now. Anyone ever been there? Raise your hand because I'm raising mine. I'm raising mine right now. Right here, this guy has come to church in the past and been like, if I could just sit, find my spot in the room and just get out of here without anyone seeing me, I'd be really happy. Because, you know, maybe you're tired. Maybe you're having a bad week and you're like, you know what? I got nothing to bring. I don't want to talk to people. People annoy me. You know, who knows what we're thinking that day? It is supernatural because it's not always natural to want to be hospitable. So what can we learn about being hospitable from Jesus? Jesus' hospitality was supernatural because it was rooted in his compassion. Get this? And it was distributed through his disciples. And that is how he distributes his compassion today. We learned last week. So let's go get Jesus real quick again. Let's review. What does Jesus' hospitality look like? Number one, his hospitality goes beyond what's comfortable. It goes beyond what's comfortable. Are you willing to let Jesus express his hospitality through you beyond what makes you comfortable? Are you willing to be stretched a little? When was the last time you let Jesus stretch you in your hospitality? In welcoming people. Welcoming people here into your home. Number two, um, about Jesus' hospitality, it's rooted in his compassion. It means he's willing to suffer with others. He's willing not just to welcome them, but he's willing to go into their hunger with them. Sometimes being hospitable is hard because it brings us in contact with the grief, the sadness, the burdens in other people's life. And that isn't always what we're in the mood for. I have a friend who will, on a weekly basis, sit with people who are going through rehab, who are going through withdrawals, who are trying to get their life out of addiction. It's not always easy and emotionally expedient to go spend time in those environments because it can feel difficult. But that kind of hospitality, see, that's a moment of hospitality. You're welcoming people into God's kingdom space. You're giving people a glimpse of what it's like to come into the presence of God. Because to come into the presence of God is to be welcomed. I wonder how many people really believe that about God. For many Christians, in the way they act, it's almost as if to come into the presence of God is to be melted by the hellfire of judgment. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be judgment. God will assess our life. He will. But at the core of God, it's mercy not sacrifice. God has a heart of mercy. And we want to communicate that. 
And we do when we just reach out to people and we were willing to suffer with them. Number three, it could be welcoming the stranger. It could be reaching out and shaking the hand of someone you don't know. Because in this crowd, who's in the crowd? I don't think that Jesus knows everybody there. I think it's a crowd of many unknown people. Look around. Just, just turn your head to the left, to the right, and you can check off a box. Look around. Left, right. Boom. You did it. Wasn't that amazing? There are people here you've never met. And it is a chance, an opportunity for you to practice your evasive maneuvers or <laughs> to practice Jesus' heart of hospitality because we're here to be apprenticed into his life. And so what does Jesus do when he wants to teach you how to be like him? He puts you in a room of people you don't know and would never want to hang out with on your own because that's what God is like. And thank God he's like that. Because if you were not, you, none of us would be here. So let's talk about practice. What does this mean for our practice? I want to ask you this. How is Jesus inviting you to practice his hospitality in your life? Maybe it means for the next month or quarter or, or till Christmas, what if this? You make a vow to never leave church without greeting one person that you don't know. I know, I know, I know. You're thinking, oh, easy for you to say you're an extrovert. Ah, kind of, kind of. I, I get nervous. I get a little uncomfortable walking around greeting people I don't know too. It could mean going a step further for some of us. Some of us can do the, the greeting part, but maybe it means before you leave, you challenge yourself. I want to pray for one person before I leave every weekend. And that prayer could be easy. It could just be, hey, can I just pray a blessing on you? I just bless you to be filled with God's love and compassion. Now, was that so hard? Just praying for somebody. You have no idea how these little offerings can be multiplied by the Spirit to do something you never expected. Come on now. What is it for you? All right, let's go to the next one. The second one is this, to contribute to the cause. Luke, or John 6, 8 talks about what it looks like for us to contribute, to be more than a crowd, but to be a, com a Jesus community. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves. Emphasis on small. Notice how it's repeated. Two small little fish. <laughs> small little fish, Jesus. I don't know how far they will go among so many people because they are so small. Ever feel that way about what you have to offer in your time? Come on, pregnant moms, moms with young kids. Ever feel like your time and your, what you have to offer is like this big now? Come on now. It's easy to feel like what we have to bring and to contribute is insignificant. But that's what's so beautiful about this picture with the boy. It's a picture of all of us and how we feel when Jesus brings us into his life of discipleship. Because we look at the bigness of the kingdom and feel like, what can I bring? Have you ever felt that way in following Jesus? Have you ever felt like you have nothing to offer? Raise your hand if you felt that way. Come on now, look around the room. Some of us are not raising our hand because we, we know we have a lot to give. But some of us are not, you know, we relate. How do you think Andrew feels here in this moment? What's the tone of Andrew's posture in this moment? All right, take a moment, share with a neighbor. Just talk to somebody. Is, is he overflowing with faith? 
This guy, Andrew, who watched Jesus walk on water, who saw him heal the sick, raise the dead, is this guy exploding with faith? Is he expectant? Is he optimistic? How would you describe, Andrew? Turn in pairs, just share one thing. One thing. All right. You know why we do this, right? I know, I know, I know. I've been doing it three weeks in a row. And some of you are ready for me to be done preaching because you're like, I am ready to stop talking to people next to me. <laughs> I know, I know. Because you know what? I sometimes feel the same way when I have to do that. So, you know, well, look, I know. Um, you know, these community breaks that we do, these little moments where we talk to each other, I think I've said this to you before. It's not that we think that by them you're going to all of a sudden have community, but they are reminders, little nudges that we are here more than to be a crowd. We are here on Sunday mornings to be woven together with one another to be a community. That's all that it is. It's a reminder. You're not just here to come and listen and leave. You're here to contribute and to be connected to each other. Come on now. Woo! Come on, girl. All right. So if it makes you a little uncomfortable, it, that is a little bit of the point. We're going to stretch it out. What good would a coach be if the coach didn't stretch you a little? So that's just a little bit of a stretching. But I want to hear, what, what do you notice in Andrew? Over here on this side, you want to raise a hand and throw me an idea? What's, what's Andrew? Yeah, what's up, Sean? Yeah, I, you can really see the overwhelming feeling here. Like, what good is this? Yeah, over here, yes. That is so profound. Have you ever done that? Have you ever focused on what you don't have instead of what you do have? It's so true because you have no expectancy that God is going to multiply what you have. Wow, that's deep. Over here, anybody? Yeah, right here, Mike. Yeah, it feels useless. Sometimes we feel useless to God. We're broken. I remember when I was going through a five-year depression. I just felt useless to God. I, was, I'm, I love being with people, but after 30 minutes of talking to someone, I just felt suffocated and I had to stop. I felt like, man, I have nothing to bring, but God can always multiply even the little bits that we bring. Yeah, in the back? He's tired and wants to go home. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's ready to go home for lunch. Get me out of here, preacher. <laughs> belief? Someone said belief up here. His belief. Yes. There's a little bit of belief. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, he didn't believe. Yeah, he didn't believe. He had a little bit to even suggest the idea, but not enough to really have that confidence, like, oh, you can do something, God. Yeah, right here. Yeah, yeah, he really feels hopeless. I think these are really good words because they describe perfectly how we are all going to feel as we follow Jesus at times. Now, I want to remind us, we learned that through this, we learn that every one of us has something to offer God. And the point of this moment is to show us, no matter how small it feels, don't hold it back and make excuses and write it off because it feels too small. Because you're not taking into account God's ability to multiply what you bring. Don't write off what you can offer. 
Remember what we learned last week. Bring what you have to God. Give what he gives you to give. Do you remember that? Bring what you have to God and what? Oh, whoa, that was not very good. <laughs> I mean, that's why this third sermon is we're reviewing the last two weeks. <laughs> you know, you can do that in a series. Did we, did, did we remember? You know, so let's go back. And again, what, okay, let's go through the first one. Bring what you have to God and what? Let's try one more time. And I think we're going to nail it. Bring what you have to God and? Yeah, that's it. Come on now, people. Yeah, I want you talking. I'm looking at you. Because that's the whole point, right? It's to contribute. It's to participate. Your participation means so much. You look around and you feel like, what do I have? I'm one person in a church of North Coast, like of thousands. We are thousands. And you could easily feel like I have nothing to give, and that's not true at all. I was talking to my neighbor the other day, and they were t- I was inviting them to the harvest party, and they were like, oh, wait, what church do you go to? And I go, I go to North Coast Calvary. And they go, oh, my gosh, that's that church that does that crazy, huge party. I have friends who come from Temecula to go to that. I was like, <laughs> But it, what's so cool, the only reason why we could throw that party is because at the end of the night, you're going to see people just doing really simple things, contributing, carrying tables and putting them away, folding up the inflatable things, carrying the buckets of candy back where they belong, cleaning things up. Little basic things make a big difference. And together, as a community, guys, we can make a huge splash in North County. Another way you can give is not just your time, but is your financial resources. Do you know that only 50% of our church gives and tithes on a regular basis? Don't feel guilty about that and go, oh my gosh, this is it, I don't tithe. No, 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 no. This is your chance to contribute and be a part of what God is doing. Because as you contribute, not just in your time, but also your resources, it's an act of faith that God, as I give what little I have, I don't have a lot to give. This church, I mean, look at how big it is. What would my little tithe do? But your little tithe multiplied by God in this community is going to do a lot. And I want to encourage you, don't underestimate whether it's your time, your treasure, your talent, what God can do through you giving what you have. All right. Let's go on to the next one. The third one is this, gathering groups, Luke 9, 15. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Jesus organized the 5,000 into groups of 50. Do you see that? All the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, talk about Jesus' organization of the crowd. And that's so important. Why is it important to gather them into 50s? Why? We don't know why. Jesus doesn't really tell us, but we're going to guess a little bit here. I think it's important because that detail is preserved. But I want to just take a stab at it with you. What could be a logistical benefit of being gathered in 50s like that? Anyone want to raise a hand to get a shot at it? Anyone here want to take a shot? Yeah, right here. Number of tribulation. What's that? The number of tribulation. Okay, it's the number of tribulation, so it might... Jubilation. Oh, jubilation. Yeah, so it might have some prophetic value, like the year of jubilee, it's like 49 years, 50, 50 years, yes. Mm, she knows her Bible. What else? <laughs> yes, over here. Yeah, it, by getting them into groups, they're able to talk and get to know each other. 
Like little dinner parties. That's good, yeah. It really helps with the distribution of food. By gathering in smaller groups, God is able to distribute to you more of what he wants to give to you. Now listen very carefully. If you only know the community through this large gathering on Sundays, you are not getting everything God wants to give to you. It is like going to Thanksgiving dinner and only having the turkey or the ham on your plate, and that's it. Can you imagine Thanksgiving? Here it is, everybody. Boom, there's your turkey. It's all about the turkey, and that's it. We're just having a purest Thanksgiving this year. We're cutting out all the fluff, you know, all the frills and the distractions. It is pure turkey, baby. We're getting back to our roots with the turkey. I mean, can you imagine that meal without the what? without the jello pretzel side. I talked to somebody about that last night. Doesn't that sound enticing? (laughs) How about the sweet potatoes with brown sugar and marshmallows melting in that? Can you imagine the turkey without some graving? Or my favorite as a kid was the canned uh, cranberry, just slipping right out into a big... I don't know why. I just love that stuff. I think it was because it was the added sugar. (laughs) Oh, I still can picture that can-shaped glob sitting on a plate. (laughs) What's your favorite Thanksgiving sighting? Those little portions that go around. What's your favorite at Thanksgiving? Stuffing. Pumpkin pie. Can you, oh, let's not forget the pumpkin pie. Can you imagine? We're having turkey for dessert. You know, I'd be like, oh, okay, more turkey. <laughs> turkey pot pie. I don't know. Okay, I'll stop. The point is that when Jesus gathers us into these little communities, it's so he can give us more of his blessing. And by only going for Sunday, we are really limiting God's distribution of his goodness, his compassion, and his blessing into our life. Let me, let's go to the next slide real quick. I'm going to skip. Yeah, let's go to the next slide. There's an epidemic of loneliness in our country. And the need to be connected and have a sense of relationship is tr- more important now than ever. Do you know that as each generation gets younger, the experience of loneliness is increasing? People who are the Gen Z generation, the people that are in college and in high school, they are rating among the loneliest. Millennials, much more so than Gen Xers or Boomers. So as you get younger, people are feeling lonelier. 54% of all Americans recently polled, 20,000 people were interviewed, feel very, very lonely and like nobody knows them. In San Diego, 76% of San Diegans show serious signs of loneliness where they feel nobody really knows what's happening in their life. Three or four years ago, the Surgeon General declared this as a, at epidemic levels. We are suffering from epidemic levels of loneliness. And that is affecting our physical health, our mental health. Loneliness is a real issue. But, and Jesus always knew that. 
And that's why Jesus gathers us into smaller communities. I want to show you something from a sociological perspective. Go to the next slide. Look at this little interesting slide. Sociologists understand that there's different, four different types of groupings where people experience belonging and relationship. It could be right here in the, in the public space, 70 above. That's this. Okay, this is the 70 above space. That's the 5,000. That's public space. That's where we feel like we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. It gives us a sense of momentum and it makes us visible as a community so others can see what God is doing among us. But it's not where we experience vulnerability or deep relationship. That's what happens as we get smaller and smaller. As we move from into smaller and smaller spheres of relationship, we become more known. There's room for more vulnerability. So here, this is the social space. And this is where Jesus breaks down his crowd. He breaks them down from a public space into a social space. This is where people can be known. They can actually talk. In a group of 50, you can actually get to know people. It's the size of an average, maybe, party at someone's house. Yeah, yeah you know, maybe your house. <laughs> Personal is like, a, is like a little small group, five to 12, where you can really get to know people's stories. And then there's the intimate, the two to four. Now watch this. Jesus understood this thousands of years ago, and he didn't need a sociologist to tell him that. Watch, go to the next slide. Jesus organized his communities into these groups as well. You can see in Acts chapter one and three, there's the 120 waiting for the Holy Spirit to come that results in thousands of people being gathered together. And we read about that in Acts 2. Okay, now right here, Jesus sent out the disciples in groups in this community of 72. But when he sent them out, he sent them out in twos because he understood that they needed to always be in community. So when Jesus sent his disciples out, they were always in community together. We see here the 12 in Luke 9.1, where Jesus has the 12 disciples, and they have community space, right, where they talk about what to do with the 5,000, and they deliberate together. And then, of course, Luke 9.28, this is where we see Jesus going up to the Mount of Transfiguration. If you don't know the story, Jesus goes up there with Peter, James, and John. And throughout the gospel, we see Jesus with these three. The point is, is that God made us for relationship. And he made the quality of our relationship here in, in this community to be a living sign of God's kingdom coming to earth. And that has radical benefits for you and for the world to see that what Jesus claimed is really true because it's by our unity and our oneness together that Jesus said that the world would believe that he was sent from the Father. Think about that. John 17, Jesus said that. By your oneness, by your willingness to be more than a crowd, but to be a community, to have relationship with each other, the world is going to come to believe that what I claimed, what I did, was real. It's not if you have amazing apologists who can convince people through intellectual argument. That has its place, but Jesus didn't say that. He said it'll be by the way the world watches how you relate to each other. That's how they're gonna know. And that's how you're gonna know. That's what's gonna reinforce the truth of Jesus and his place in your life 
as you allow God to bring you with others. For the last 15 years, I've been meeting with a core group of guys, four guys. These are guys I cry with, I confess sin to. These are guys that I celebrate with, guys that I surf with, guys that I pray with, guys we talk about our, our parenting, our marriages. Who do you confess your sin to? In the last two weeks, who did you confess your sin to? You see, because when you can do that, when you have someone you can do that with, man, you are going to experience God's forgiveness, his welcoming heart and his grace in a way you can't get by being entertained by a speaker on a Sunday. Come on now. I want to get the band out here. We're at time. As the band comes on out, this is my challenge. This is our practice. We, look around, we are the 5,000, but are we willing to be a community? Are you willing to be woven by the Spirit into a community? Are you willing to let God do that? And how is God challenging you? I want to challenge you. What is keeping you from getting into a small group? What would keep you from getting, if you're not in a small group, I want to challenge you to go to our website and get into a group. There are all kinds of community groups at our church. There's bottom line happening this morning. There's morning date that was advertised earlier. There's refinery. If you don't know what refinery is, go to the website. There's all kinds of different ways to get connected in community. There's running groups here. Come on now. There's surfing groups. We got it all. And if you feel overwhelmed, I want to challenge you. Talk to a pastor or director and say, hey, how can I get more connected? How can I be known? And maybe even God wants to use you to start a community. Maybe your challenge in the next month, you're going to invite people from church to your house for dinner. Just invite a couple people from church and say, hey, come over for dinner. Let's be the church. Let's do what we see this talking about. Let's open up our lives to God's supernatural compassion to flow through us and show the world a glimpse of heaven on earth. Let's worship. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.